Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast Series. I'm Heather Horn. I'm hoping that today's episode will serve as a good catch-up. With all that's been going on in the world, it's no surprise that many of you have not been keeping up with the FASB. In fact, it's my job, and I sometimes feel like I don't have enough time. I thought it would be a good time to talk about what they've been up to and what's ahead. My guest is Maria Constantino, a director in the National Office who's responsible for monitoring the FASB standard-setting activities. Maria is also a frequent contributor to PwC's thought leadership efforts. So let's get started. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's been a while since we've last talked about standard setting. And definitely for the past few months, I think people and companies have been very preoccupied with world events. But I know there's also been a lot of changes at the FASB and some things that we might anticipate for the next year. So I thought that this would be a good time to take a few minutes just to talk about what's going on, some of the personnel changes, and then recent events from a standard setting perspective. So why don't we jump right in and start with some of the changes that we're seeing with personnel at the FASB? Yeah, sure, Heather. So uh, we've talked before about how Richard Jones was appointed the new FASB chair, and he'll be officially taking over on July 1. Um, But this week's news was that Hillary Salo was uh, appointed as the new technical director. She, you know, brings some terrific experience, um, and the acting technical director, Shane Kahanek, will still stay on and be in a deputy role. So they're adding some, some additional strength to the team. In addition, you know, the FASB is working remotely, but staying busy, helping companies, as you said, deal with all the accounting issues that have arisen from from world events. Um, And we're going to talk about some of those today. They have an effective date deferral and, you know, some technical issues they've been helping companies with. Okay. So then, Maria, why don't we turn to some of the recent activities from the FASB? And I think in particular, one that was very good news for some preparers out there which was the effective dates deferral. So can you, for those who haven't been following closely, can you explain what happened and what it means? Yeah, sure. And Heather, we've talked about effective date deferrals before, so I can understand those who don't do this every day like we do, you know, wondering, is this another one or, or you know, what's going on? So, you know, as, as we've said, the FASB was really sympathetic to the plight of preparers with so many accounting issues going on, and in particular, private companies, especially you know, perhaps with smaller staffs, um, but but certainly still in the midst of implementing um, the revenue and leases standards, you know, some reached out and, and looked for a deferral. And so the FASB did give um, a deferral of the revenue and leases standards, essentially for private companies, you know, we say non-public business entities um, for one additional year. Um, and for leases, public not-for-profits um, can also take advantage of the deferral. And there are some caveats with, that we'll get into, but that's generally at a high level what, what happened. Um, now, this, I want to be clear, is in addition to the deferrals you know, we've talked about before from last November, those were primarily related to credit losses and goodwill impairment. And so, uh, but they also impacted hedging and leases. So this is an additional deferral you know, for non-public business entities of one year. So then maybe, Maria, can we go into specifics? Because even with you saying that, I think it's still a little confusing. And maybe we can summarize where we've landed. So let's start with revenue. So can you take us through it specific? Let's start with 
um, 606? Sure. So 606, um, as we know, it's effective for public business entities, and there's no change there. And also, uh, with regard to not-for-profits, public not-for-profits um, also you know, have already adopted ASC 606, and there's, there's no change for them as well. For entities that are not public business entities, there we have to look to whether they have issued their financial statements yet, um, reflecting the adoption of ASC 606. Um, so the mandatory effective date is annual periods beginning after December 15, 2019. Um, and so the question is whether they have issued their financial statements reflecting 606 already for that period. To the extent they have not, they can take advantage of the deferral. Okay, great. And then sort of what was the genesis of the standard or the deferral, excuse me? So in the case of revenue, it originally began with a request from the franchisor industry um, where they they were working through their adoption and and they reached out to the FASB um, to look at a deferral. Um, And so the exposure draft originally began with just a deferral for the franchisors. um, And then it was later expanded in the final standard to be all um, non-PBEs that had not yet issued financial statements reflecting 606. The uh, sort of cutoff time is when this ASU with the deferral came out, which was June 3rd. So if you haven't yet issued your financial statements by June 3rd, um, you're eligible for the deferral. Okay, so then Maria, let's turn to 842. I know we had an earlier deferral, but now we've gotten more relief. So can you summarize for us where things stand for all the different types of entities? So our listeners are aware that public business entities have already adopted ASC at 42, and there's no change there. Um, There is a subset of public not-for-profits where they might not have issued their financial statements uh, reflecting adoption of 842. And so the FASB has offered a deferral to those entities if their financial statements that are GAAP compliant have not been issued as a June 3rd, reflecting ASC 842, they can take advantage of the deferral. Um, And the effective date in those instances is for annual reporting periods beginning after December 15th, 2019. So Maria, before we move on to the deferral for non-PBEs, for these public not-for-profits, two questions. One is, uh, just to make sure people are aware, what is a public not-for-profit? Profit? And then secondly, what do we really mean when we talk about posting gap compliant financial information? Like, is there some subtlety there that people should focus on? Yeah, both good questions, Heather. So uh, public not-for-profit, um, the FASB's definition is a not-for-profit entity that is issued or is a conduit bond obligor for securities that are traded, listed, or quoted on an exchange or OTC market. And then in terms of the the caveat about GAAP-compliant financial statements, to distinguish full set of GAAP financial statements from what those public not-for-profits may have um, submitted in the EMMA system. So that is um, GAAP information, but it's not a full set of financial statements. And so the... um, the FASB's deferral applies to any not public not-for-profit that has not issued a full set of GAAP-compliant financial statements. Great. So then why don't we move on to non 
PBEs and the deferral for those entities? So for non-PBEs, it's pretty simple. Um, It's just the mandatory effective date is now fiscal years beginning after December 15th, 2021. Okay, very helpful, Maria. And I know even from the original deferral, there were many questions for certain categories of companies, like companies that were going to have an IPO or others, and that we did issue an in-depth think back in December on the original deferrals, um, and that we've also issued some updated guidance that's addressing the new deferrals. And so I definitely encourage companies that think they fall into these categories and would like to take advantage of it to, to check out that more detailed guidance for more information. So then, Maria, why don't we move on to something that I think will be applicable to many in our audience, if not all, which would be that the issues that FASB's been working on related to COVID-19, and I know they've hit few different areas. So maybe we should start with a big one, which would be the CARES Act. Yeah. So on the CARES Act, um, and Heather, we'll just, we'll sort of hit some highlights. The FASB really has been talking to stakeholders on, on obviously a lot of issues. Um, and so we'll talk about some of the ones that they spoke about publicly at, at meetings. And what I'd like to do is point out for our listeners, which ones there, where there are additional guidance that they can look to. So some, you know, the the staff talks about it at a meeting and it's included in the minutes. Others, perhaps the FASB has issued a staff Q&A, you know, that you can find on their website. So with regard to the CARES Act, one of the questions was which disclosure should be provided? Um, And so the board talked about how there isn't current U.S. gap on, you know, specific disclosure requirements related to government grants other than, you know, those in in the tax literature and and those specific to not-for-profits. But for for everyone else who's taking advantage of of this government assistance, you know, what's appropriate for them to disclose? And so – Really, it's it's about you know telling stakeholders your story. So you should describe the the significant terms of, and conditions of the government assistance. You know what form is the grant? Um, is it a refund? Is it um, you know how big is it? How long will it last? Interest rate if it's if it's a loan? You know details like that that might be helpful. Um, in addition just like any other significant accounting policies, accounting policies used to account for the government assistance, it's a good idea to disclose. And and that, you know, should include how you recognize the government assistance, um, which financial statement line items are affected, and, you know, where you recognized it in, in the financial statements. Okay. So then why don't we move on to a topic that can get very tricky very quickly, which would be hedge accounting. And I know there are some specific impacts of the COVID crisis on hedge accounting, which the FASB provided some helpful guidance on. So can you walk us through the issue and then what the FASB did? Sure. So this is one of the cases I mentioned earlier where the staff has issued a Q&A, which is available on the FASB website. So, you know, we'll touch it at a high level, but I encourage everybody to go and take a look if they if they do participate in cash flow hedging. So the Q&A is specific to cash flow hedging, where we're mostly talking about, you know, forecasted transactions. And so this really relates to when you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has interrupted your operations such that a forecasted transaction you were hedging, whether it be a supply purchase or or a debt payment, um, is 
either at risk of not happening or, you know, delayed. And so you have to question whether the forecasted transaction is probable. And so the idea here is that when you have a forecasted transaction that is still probable of occurring, but your time frame is off from the normal the normal window, which includes the period of the forecasted transaction plus two months, um, normally you have to reclassify amounts uh, deferred in OCI. But in this case, the FASB Q&A says that you can keep amounts in OCI as long as the forecasted transaction remains probable of occurring. What's happened here is that the FASB has looked to a a small piece of the literature about when a a rare occurrence like this has happened and said that COVID-19 was a rare occurrence and and therefore, you know, there's some latitude there. Um, But certainly judgment about whether these things will really happen is going to be important. Okay, so then why don't we move on to leasing? And I actually had John Bishop and uh, Suzanne Stefani on with me talking about this guidance really right after it was issued. But let's give some highlights here. And then for companies that do have this issue, definitely encourage people to check out that podcast. So again, can you give us a quick summary of the issue and where the FASB landed? Yeah, sure. So this is another one where the FASB issued a, a helpful staff Q&A. Um, so the guidance is, is detailed in that Q&A. And basically, it, it pertains to when lessors provide rent concessions. Um, you know, those can be in several forms, whether it be deferral of certain pay, payments, partial, um, you know, rent forgiveness, things like that. Um, you know, lessors can have hundreds, even thousands of leases. And so there may not have been time to analyze all of these contracts in detail. And so the FASB provided some some guidance and relief there um, that lessees and lessors can make an election to treat these concessions as either lease contract modifications or as if they were simply lease payment adjustments um, under an existing force majeure cl- clause in the contract. So um, it's it's really a, a helpful piece of guidance in terms of the administrative burden that lessees and lessors were facing. Agree. And I think a key point here is that it does apply to both lessees and lessors, because to your point, it's often the lessors that are faced with maybe thousands of these, but even for some lessees, they may have a large volume and or it can get very complicated very quickly. And so this is welcome relief for both uh, parties to the lease. Again, for our audience, to the extent that any of these scenarios might apply to you or you have other questions on the impact of COVID-19 or the CARES Act, uh, we do have a great in-depth that Maria was the lead editor on that addresses the CARES Act and then also one on COVID-19. And both of them have, you know, were updated over several weeks. And so encourage people to check that out. All right, Maria. So with that, why don't we turn to some of the other projects? And again, I think these may have dropped down in some people's priority list, but still very helpful to understand what's going on. Uh, so why don't we start with liabilities and equity? Yeah, sure, Heather. So the um, the FASB is, you know, working, like we said, on advancing some of these projects. Um, this one in particular, um, distinguishing liabilities from equity, um, they're going to meet on June 10th, and they're working towards a final standard here. And so this, you know, is an attempt to simplify some aspects of the guidance. You know, everyone should look out for the ASU uh, later in the summer, or early fall. Right. And I think, Maria, an interesting point on that one, and I know 
We don't talk too much about U.S. GAAP versus IFRS, but I do find interesting where the FASB and the ISB took different approaches, where the ISB took a more comprehensive approach versus we saw the FASB here really make some targeted improvements to certain areas of the standard. Yeah, and this that is true. And this was one area where um, the starting points in the two you know, GAP frameworks under U.S. GAP and IFRS were very different. And so under IFRS, they felt that they needed more of a comprehensive model. Um, and in U.S. GAP, you know, the thought was that there were a few areas that were, you know, responsible for a majority of the complexity. And so they they started with, um, you know, tackling those first and seeing if if we can sort of you know, take a bite out of the the complexity there. There is a phase two project already added to the FASB's agenda um, to consider what else might be done after this. So, you know, even with the issuance of the ASU, the the sort of work there is just beginning. Right. And definitely this is one area where our listeners can look forward to a podcast once this comes out. We'll definitely be addressing it and providing more detail. So then, Maria, I know some of the other projects are perhaps more limited, but can you give us some highlights from them? Yeah. Um, so the next one is uh, Gifts in Kind, uh, which impacts primarily not-for-profits. Um, so there as well, uh, the board is expected to meet and talk about um the re-deliberations and, and what feedback they received on the exposure draft, and they're working toward a final standard as well. So that one pertains to um, contributed not fin- non-financial assets at not-for-profits. Okay, and then I know that EITF has been working on some issues, and issue 18A has been one that kind of got put on hold. I think the staff is doing outreach. So again, can you describe that project and where we think it's going? Yeah, sure. So that one was, um, you know, a challenging one from, um, as you said, 2018. Um, and so that was one where the, the board issued um, an invitation to comment on recognition under 805. So that's the business combinations guidance for an assumed liability in a revenue contract. And so there were a variety of issues there. And so they are picking that back up again um, and doing some additional research. Given the complexity of, of 18A, I won't go into the details here, but I'm sure we'll be talking about it as they make progress with the outreach. The, the next one that's a little simpler is um, a practical expedient for franchisors. So, we, you know, we mentioned earlier that that they were working through their implementation. Um, and so there's there's a question there about the timing of revenue recognition for the upfront franchise payments. Um, and so the FASB staff is doing outreach to see if a, a possible expedient might be applicable um, in that case. The next one is a possible, another effective date deferral for the insurance industry. So we know they're going to meet to consider adding a project um, that would propose a deferral uh, for the insurance industry. A meeting that I also wanted to talk to you about, which is that we know that the FASAC has a meeting coming up on June 23rd, and you know they will have potentially some influence over the agenda. So maybe if you could start by first explaining who the FASAC is for those who may not be following this as closely as us, and then what we expect to see coming out of that meeting. Yeah, so the FASAC is the FASB's advisory council. Um, and it's it's a, a group of preparers, practitioners, um, and um, 
investors and analysts as well. So it's, it's a broad group. Um, and the idea, of course, is to get you know diverse feedback and, and think about how current and future standards um, impact all of those groups. And so for this June meeting, the, the topics will really be about COVID issues and, and really what should the FASB and the profession be doing to support you know, keeping good accounting going with all of this complexity. And so they're going to be talking about all the ones we've been talking about, impairment of goodwill and long-lived assets, government grants, which um, we've talked about before, how there really isn't direct U.S. gap on point for government grants for for business entities. And so that's one thing that the the FACE Act will debate. Um, They're going to talk about going concern, which has been you know, a a big challenge um, for people to determine troubled debt restructurings, risks and uncertainties. Generally speaking, it's, you know, what is the impact on accounting standards and financial statements of the current environment? Okay, great. Very helpful, Maria. So then it sounds like if I were to just take a step back and summarize, when we look at current status of standard setting, we really see the FASB responding to the current environment by pausing and focusing on COVID issues. And you know, this, I think, is going to be a good opportunity then to look forward to the agenda prioritization and definitely seems like more to come later in 2020 and then into 2021. Exactly. That's exactly how I would summarize it, Heather. I think the FASB is, you know, virtually open for business and, you know, trying to help um, stakeholders respond to the accounting complexities that are out there given the current environment as best they can. Great. Well, Maria, as always, very helpful to speak to you. I appreciate you joining me today. Thanks for having me. Join me back here this Thursday for the launch of our new podcast series called What's Next that will be released every Thursday throughout the summer covering aspects of reopening and what that means for controllers, CFOs, and their teams. I'm excited to announce that PwC's senior partner, Tim Ryan, will be my first guest. It's going to be a great conversation, so don't miss it. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our podcast series wherever you listen to your podcast. And to stay up to date on the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.